Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, how we doing? How we doing? How we doing? Welcome, everybody. We welcome you to Dialed In. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, both on the Believe Network and right here on Chatterbox Sports. You can join us on YouTube. That's a Chatterbox Sports page. You can follow us on X, our good friend Elon Musk, X. That's a Tom Brenneman TV. Our guest today, longtime Fox broadcaster Chris Myers. He's fresh off the Daytona 500 coverage last week for Fox and has been in the NFL broadcast booth for 20 years now. We'll get to him in a minute. First, a couple of news notes, sports on the local front here in Cincinnati, and we begin in college basketball. Both local teams took major hits last night to their NCAA tournament chances. The UC Bearcats were favored by double digits at home against Oklahoma State and lost 80-76. to This was the game the Bearcats needed, and I mean in the worst sort of way. But this is the same old, same old. They can't close the deal. Consider this. UC has lost eight games in the Big 12 Conference, best conference in college basketball. They've lost eight games by a combined 32 points, an average of four points per game. And now all of a sudden they're faced with reality staring them right in the eye. Back-to-back road games against a very good TCU team on Saturday and then against top five power Houston on Tuesday night. Outside of winning the Big East tournament, Xavier's NCAA hopes are DUN. They're done. Dead. Dead. They lose to Providence last night, 79-75. They've won 13. They've lost 13. They've lost three in a row. And will play at number seven Marquette on Sunday afternoon. And lastly, on the NFL front, still no decision on the Bengals regarding wide receiver T. Higgins. Their options are, one, franchise tag him to the tune of about $21 million, try to keep the band back together. Here in 2024, Burrow, Chase, Higgins, on and on and on. They could franchise tag him and try and trade him. Varying points of view on what that might bring back. And then the last option, which has zero chance of happening, it would be straight business malpractice would allow Higgins to just walk out the door as a free agent. That ain't happening. The team has until March the 5th to decide on what to do regarding the franchise tag. Chris Myers was born in March of 1959 in Miami, Florida. He began his broadcasting career, believe it or not, at the age of 16, hosting his own radio show in South Florida. 16. After college, he came back to Miami as a TV sportscaster, went to New Orleans for a bit, and then, quote-unquote, the big time he hits it in 1988 with ESPN. It was there he hosted SportsCenter, Baseball Tonight, and won an Emmy Award for the interview program Up Close, on which he was the first person to interview O.J. Simpson after both his murder trial and civil lawsuit. Chris covered the Earthquake World Series in 1989. I was there for that. The Olympic Park bombing during the Atlanta Games, the Olympic Games, 
And then in 1998, he made the move. Espen on to Fox, where he remains now 25 years later, covering five Super Bowls, three BCS National Championship games, multiple World Series, boxing, even the Westminster Dog Show. He just wrapped up last week coverage of the Daytona 500 as Fox's lead voice on NASCAR since 2001. He's a husband, a father, and truly one of my favorite guys I have ever met. Not just favorite guys in television, but favorite guys on the planet. A pleasure to be joined by our good friend, Chris Myers. Boy, you look good. You look tan, you know. You're back in your old stomping ground in Florida. Then you go back out to sunny California. I mean, you got it going on. Well, yeah, except that we've had a lot of rain in, in both uh, oh. Florida. The Daytona 500 got moved back a day, and even California, we, you know, we, we can't have, when it rains out here, I tell people start squeezing lemons on their Porsches. They don't know what to do. You know, they, can't, they can't handle it. But I do want to thank you and your dad for being such uh, great pros and good people along the way, because I go back to covering Pete Rose, uh, my first year at ESPN yep. as a reporter in spring training when things happened and your dad was uh, was such a great help and through the years getting to know you and, and the family. So it's always good to talk to you. Thank you. You know, it was a very eventful Daytona 500. I mean, you had weather issues. You have Austin Hill. He wins it by less than a second, third straight time he's won it. I mean, what a, what a wild weekend, right? Yeah, this Daytona 500, well, Will, William Byron comes through for, for Hendrick Chevrolet after it ended with a, you know, it was another Chevrolet, uh, Bowman the Showman, Alex Bowman right there, uh, teammates, and, and then the flag comes out, and Ross Chastain had a chance to win it, uh, and it's kind of an under caution, so you'd rather it just end clean, uh, but at least they had nice weather after after a delay. And uh, yeah, the Daytona 500 every year gets gets bigger and bigger in terms of interest level. And I will say this just about entering another NASCAR season that that it is more. You know, you had Richard Petty celebrating his years in the sport, and he he won seven Daytona 500s and over 200 races. So the king they call. But but back then he was the dominant force. There there were maybe one or two or three guys could challenge him. Now you really have half the field, 20 cars that are capable of winning, especially Daytona, where the three previous years were, were long-shot drivers. I, I think now, and this isn't just me talking, this is the manufacturers and, and the owners of the race teams and the drivers, it's really, the, the, there's more competitive balance than there's ever been. And so that makes for better racing, whether you're on a super speedway or or a short track or or a roval or, or a dirt, whatever you want to call it. They even tried dirt track racing with, with Bristol, which has changed this year. So, uh, and I, th I think that's, you know, fans, I think, appreciate that a lot more. You know, I'm kind of curious, Chris, because I've never been to a NASCAR event. Um, I remember our old boss, uh, David Hill, many, many years ago, used to talk. He, he, this Australian guy, he had never been to a NASCAR event. Uh, Fox gets NASCAR. He goes, and I remember uh, I was talking to him one day. He's like, I I've never seen anything like it. You, you say it keeps getting bigger and bigger and better and better, the Daytona 500 at least. W what is that yes. world like? I've never been around it, and, and you know, there's the stereotype that it's primarily down in the south, and, and now all of a sudden right. they've got events from coast to coast. Um, what's it like, the NASCAR world? Yeah, well, the, the origin of it is deep south and, and uh, building, you know, souped up engines to for bootleggers to outrun the, the police, the right. local police. Fascinating story. So, and, and then that's where the core is, but over the last 10, 20 years, even before that, it's really branched out 
uh, you have more drivers from places like uh, California or, or Nevada, uh, up north, uh, Michigan, uh, really, than you do from from the deep south uh, right now. And I, I can describe it. It's funny, Tom, because I grew up, my my two brothers were car guys, older guy, older brother, younger brother. And, and I'd be watching football, baseball, you know, on uh, on TV as a little kid. They're like, no, come on, let's go out to the races. They were car guys. I, I'm not, I was not a gearhead and I, I'm, I'll never try to be a gearhead because there are people who could take cars apart and put them together and really appreciate that part of the racing. Uh, I enjoy the, the the strategy of it and the pit crews and the personalities of drivers. You know, it's high risk anyway. Some guys are gamblers. Some guys wreck people. Uh, you, you, you know, you, now it's a lot of there's a lot more. Uh, of the computer dialing into the car before you even get in. And that helps to make it, I think, more competitive balance. But yeah, the first time. So when I went to it, you know, even David Hill, our boss, he said, hey, we want you to host this pre-race show. We got the rights. We, I said, well, I, you know, uh, I'm a broadcaster and, and I have interviewed some of the greats in the sport from uh, Richard Petty to the late Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon. I said, but I, uh, you know, I have, this is a sport I've covered, like football, baseball, basketball. And he said, no, that's what we want. We want, we want a sports guy who learns the rules, but we want to broaden the audience. You'll have a crew chief as an analyst or an ex-crew chief. You'll have a, you know, pit reporters. You'll have an ex-driver as an analyst. And and that really, uh, I think, set the tone for the Fox approach. And they tried some things differently when they first got it. People were, were skeptical and critical. Oh, they're going to jazz it up. They're going to turn it into the Simpsons or whatever. And kind of took the NFL on Fox approach of personality and then highlight highlight the sport. But yes, it, it when I first went in to a place like Daytona, and I had been to some other smaller tracks, but the, the volume, the sound, the, the, the sight, the, the, the bright colors of the cars, and that's what catches some of the, the younger uh, viewers or younger fans of the sport. But it really, it really uh, Tom, smells like action. That's how I would describe it. You, wow. Yeah, just you know, there's some motor oil and there's some smoke and that type of thing. Uh, and, and But but when you're there, and it's, it's a great TV sport because we have the great sound system. We can yep. put cameras in the helmet in different places. Uh, but, but I do think once you experience it uh, at a racetrack, I think you become more of a fan. And there are some some really you know little nuances to understand pit stops and fuel mileage things like that uh but the variety of tracks and, and racing personalities i i think have kept it afloat in at a time to be honest with you where you know i think you'll agree with this you have kids uh, they don't our car connection has changed a little bit it used to be you owned a car for a long time and some people still do it was you know you knew the manufacturers and those, those are the ones that raced and you race in that car and you try to sell that car in nascar people lease cars kids get around on, on uber and and lyft today so there, there's a little bit of a dynamic there that's changed and and yet this great american sport has has tried to maintain its connection uh with the public with their cars and, and keep it a, a high risk high reward kind of race I want to go back to when you started at ESPN back in 1988. You were in New Orleans. And, and you know, for a lot of the younger generation now, uh, which you and I are, are certainly still very much a part of, but a lot of the <laughs> younger generation now, you know, you look at ESPN and it's, it's just this behemoth, right? But in 1988, they were still really in the process. Yeah, they'd had a few years under their belt, but the building blocks of that thing. What, what was that like to be at ESPN in the early days before it turns into what it is now? Yeah, and it was only one one channel, uh, right? There wasn't, you know, ESPN yep. Plus or ESPN Two or ESPN. And you know, Tom, there there weren't, you know, we didn't have all these regionals to carry games locally for teams. There wasn't an MLB network, an NFL network, and that's what made it special. 
even though it was growing, like CNN had to start a oh, 24 hour news channel. That can't, that won't exist. And we saw what happened, whether you like what they're doing now or not. But ESPN was like, yeah, sports are nice, but who's going to watch sports for 24 hours? And especially when they didn't have the rights to anything. So when I came over from local sports, and, and that was one of the reasons I, I wanted to do it, was because in local sports, you know, there more important things go on in the in the newscast. And so you get cut time-wise. And for us, it's important to, to get to the local sports and cover what we needed. So it was a great opportunity for me. And through the 90s, I call it the golden years, because those were really... And they, and they can never be recaptured. Those were the special years of ESPN because they were the only game in town, because they started growing each year fast, whether it was Chris Berman with his nicknames on baseball highlights, you know, later with, with uh, Dan Patrick, uh, just the idea that when there was breaking news anywhere in sports, a college coach, uh, you know, an NFL, you, you could see a news conference and watch it live and, and see things for yourself. And then eventually uh, got rights to, to MLB and, and to, you know NFL and and you know more and more college and it really became a college uh, kind of go-to because you could see your team playing even if it was midnight madness or whatever and, and really the atmosphere was fun where you guys would come to work and then you know, the clothes of the teams they rooted for their colleges it was a lot of young people creative that were just trying to do behind the scenes it took a lot of work uh, and it really was a fun time you felt you were growing and building something kind of kind of special with some good people I actually started out as the West Coast reporter, right? Uh, so I, but they didn't, and I was one of the first. Jimmy Roberts was on the East Coast, so they didn't even have bureaus or reporters. They would just, you know, they, and so I, I remember interviewing. I think it was Frank Robinson at a spring training, and I, I was in a news guy, and I had the mic flag. I said, "Hey, can you, you know, you have a question? I have a question for for ESPN. Do you have a few moments?" And he said, "ESPN was a Spanish channel." <laughs> uh, everybody laughed, and and then uh, and then he went on to answer. So that tells you the newness uh, of how where now you know you say those letters and people know it's 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 a sports uh, franchise and who they are so it, it really has become and and i think help pave the way let's give them credit for all of these other great yep. sports channels uh that are out there and then of course fox you know which got nfl first after the simpsons and then added nascar and baseball and, and has grown now too although fox is still a a network and there's fs1 this is a 24-hour sports network but fox like cbs uh is a, a network with other programming responsibilities along with their sports so the, the dynamic has changed. But I got to tell you, those are some, some really fun years that I'll always look back on uh, fondly because you were building and growing with something. It was hard to leave. I really thought I'd never leave there. Uh, but but a, a great offer came in. It had to do with the family and logistics and things like that and another opportunity to do different things. I want to I want to ask you about the O.J. Simpson thing. And, and you know what? It, 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 you might be so tired of, of talking about this thing because, you know, that 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 moment doesn't define your career in, in, in any stretch of the imagination and all the things you've done since and the things you're continuing to do now. But, but that was such a incredibly explosive story that was known around the world. This great American hero, this icon, uh, charged with murder of his wife and, and, and another young man. Um, and then we know about the trial and everything that happens. You end up interviewing him, the first guy to do it on live television. How did that happen? What was that like? 
Well, I think we were trying to get them on the show years before on Up Close, where it's a, it was a free-flowing format where you could interview a guy for a half hour, and that it was an athlete, uh, a coach, whatever, and it was their platform. And and he was always he said, you know, I, I you know, I'll get on there at some point, and then this happened, and then that changed everything. So after the the second trial. Uh, our booking agent reached out and his rep said, you know what, he wants to come on uh, Chris's show because he thinks, you know, Chris is fair on a close way. He talks to even when athletes have some difficult situations. And and so, uh, but he has two uh, two requests that have to happen. He, uh, you know, I said, I said, well, first of all, I, I have to ask what I want to ask and what the public is going to ask. I'm not going to sit there and talk about your Heisman and your days in Buffalo. And uh, he said, well, no, his, his only two uh, guidelines, you, you can't ask about his children, which I thought was fair. And, and he wants the interview to be live. It has to be live. And I was like, well, okay, we don't usually go live on this. We tape it and turn around, but I'll go live if ESPN will support me on that. And I said, why is that? And I said, well, Barbara Walters had, was going to do the first interview with him after, but she would only tape it. And she was concerned because OJ was so good at spinning his story and, and, and his lies, as it turns out, uh, that she wouldn't do it uh, live. You know, he offered that to her. So she said, it's got to be taped. He said, no. So he did this uh, with us. And it was supposed to be a half hour. We got going. We expanded. It was almost 55 minutes. You can still watch it on YouTube. And, and Tom, it's not an old subject because OJ, OJ Simpson keeps popping up yeah. every once in a while. And I, could, I run into people our age, uh, younger, older, who were fascinated uh, by that interview and, and by what came out of that. And remember, that was a time, that was one of the last, because I don't know that there'll ever be another sports story like this one, uh, because the way it played out on TV with yep. the trial and the first beginning, right, with the chase in the middle of, a, of an NBA game. And it was one of the it's one of the last water cooler moments where people that weren't even sports fans, because OJ had prior to that was so popular, you know, commercials announcing and then the player that he was uh, and in movies and, and, and that type of thing. So people all had an opinion and all had an interest and were gathered around for all that trial. And then when this opportunity came up, uh, they, we really had an audience. I remember Howard Stern commented on on how good he thought the interview was. Jay Leno joked about it on The Tonight Show about some question that I had asked and turned it into a, into a joke. And, and, and so it was, uh, it, it was one of those special moments. And I was a little hesitant about, about doing it. I got to be honest with you. There's some people like, well, you're going to put a killer you know, on the air. I said, yeah. well, he wasn't convicted. And I said, and, I, I, and this is not a chance for me to grill him or talk sports, but it's a chance for you, the public, to judge. And I tried to ask, uh, the questions that people wanted to ask. And I studied feverishly in the time I had. I mean, I met with lawyers. I met with detectives. I, you know, I, I met with ex-judge. I mean, it was, you know, it became, I was so consumed. I'd be at home and, you know, they'd say, pass the salt. And I'd go object. And they're like, relax, Chris, you're, just, you're not, you're not on yet. All right, hold on a second. Uh, so anyway, uh, it, 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 yeah, it was fascinating still to this day. And there is a book coming out, Tom, with that I'm involved in writing and uh, set for next fall, November, uh, that'll have some of the things you and I are talking about in it and including quite a bit on, on this particular chapter and things after in and around uh, what happened with, uh, with Mr. Simpson. Um, we had Bob Costas on, on the show not too long ago, and he was sharing... Um, the, the, the story about when he was with NBC during the Olympic Games in Atlanta, and he made the comment that, that now all of a sudden this man, Richard Jewell, is put out there basically on a platter for the whole world. And Bob shared with us that he continued to say to his brethren on the news side, uh, guys, you know, um, this guy can't be tried in the media here. There are no formal 
charges against this poor man. And we find out later, of course, he wasn't guilty. Uh, we, we find out that his life was just completely destroyed in every way imaginable. D- did you face any sort of dilemma like that when you were covering that story for ESPN? Yeah, thankfully. And I'm glad Bob Costas brought that up at the time and, and later because it, it, it it's it's typical. And we even see more of it now, uh, Tom, with, with people rushing to judge in social media. Somebody throws out a headline that may not even be accurate. And before they do their own research, also check the resources of where the information is coming from. Uh, they, are, they are out to get people or out to make a decision or out to cancel. And it's just, it's just so wrong. And that, that happened so long ago, even at a different time. And it really was tragic. I didn't have, I dealt more with when I was at those games for ESPN. In fact, we were taping up close. Charles Barkley, we were at the uh, the Commerce Center downtown, the Atlanta Commerce Center. We were on the second floor and we had taped something with Barkley the, and the uh, U.S. basketball team earlier in the day. And then we were re-wrapping something for Sports Center that night when the bomb went off. And I and I thought it was uh, fireworks at first. Um, and then, you know, the old training as a broadcaster, you roll right through it. And then they're like, hey, we turned around, we saw sirens. And at the time, you know, we rushed down and stayed on live for, for ESPN. Uh, because we didn't know if there were more bombs or if it was terrorists or what what, what was going on. Uh, but in the aftermath, thankfully, I was not uh, on the Richard Jewell assignments of covering that. However, I was also very cautious that like what evidence you have, they were they it just seemed like they were in such a hurry to pin it on somebody. And this was a guy who actually, and I didn't see him personally doing this, but I saw other people helping uh, to to get people to safety yeah. and and to tend to those who were either panicked or or had been injured from from some of the debris. And it was uh, it was really unfortunate, uh, but and I don't think a lesson was learned, at least not by many, unfortunately. Um, you come to Fox uh, after ten years at ESPN, and you know you brought it up earlier with Sports Center, Baseball Tonight, Up Close, all these different things. Primarily, almost exclusively, um, a studio guy. Um, and and as you know, in that world of television, there is such. A a separation between studio and play-by-play guys, right? So unless you're doing the World Series and you're hosting uh, for Fox the pregame show for the World Series, yeah, you'll see Joe Buck or Kevin uh, Burkhart, I mean, uh, Joe Davis, whoever it might be that's doing the game. Same thing with football. Um, but, but outside of that, on a weekend and week out basis, there's that world and then there's that world. Did you want to make that move from one world to the other world all along? Yeah, not you know, not not really. It wasn't kind. Con- I loved you know football, baseball, and I and I loved the work that that great announcers locally, nationally did uh, as I was growing up, and so I had an appreciation for that. My hook into to TV, other than the local radio and broadcast, you know, Brent Musburger and 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 the NFL Today, which was the first live half hour pregame football show. So that was kind of what my long range thought was. I, I want to be on. You know, a show like I'd love to host a football show like that where I can talk about all the games and watch all the games and then recap. And then you saw highlights later with Chris Berman uh, doing it, 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 which nobody has ever topped with Tom Jackson, the NFL primetime, all those highlights in a fun way. I was like, that's the, the kind of thing. And I did, you know, the studio stuff, the baseball tonight, the interview show. And, and I've always I've, I've always enjoyed interviewing athletes before and after the game. So that that's kind of where I was going with this. And because of the interview interest and approach. Uh, when I did go over to Fox, it was hosting the NASCAR pre, 
uh, and I did some some studio baseball, they were like, hey, your interviews, can we use you to, to help out to interview this situation? They'd be live or they might be in a game. So in a sense, becoming more of a field reporter or sideline reporter uh, when I wasn't doing the studio. And and so that's how that began. A couple of postseason baseball games. Um, yeah, obviously, the Red Sox run to the World Series in 04 when they broke through. And I was kind of, this was before Ken Rosenthal kind of slid into that spot from his writing background. And there it really wasn't an established spot there. And so I, and then they said, well, could you jump over to NFL and help out there? And that's how I became uh in uh, NFL games, but also postseason games with yep. Pam Oliver and the later era Andrews for, for Super Bowls and, and things like that. So from that, from doing a, some of that, um, you know, when the studio opportunity just there weren't as many of those around or available. Uh, so when I was like, hey, you know, I'll, I want to I want to do some play by play. And it was mostly football. I mean, that's where I kind of had some experience from high school and college, just doing some side play by play stuff. But again, that wasn't my driving force. So I kind of I kind of wor worked it to get into that portion of it. And that's really where I love doing. If you talk about the play by play and you're right, there's still studio remote. There's still they try to bring them together. That's one of the things too on nascar when i did host we had the hollywood hotel we would be on the scene at the track because it was mm -hmm. the only game in town almost like the big you know the super bowl or or whatever so that helped connect a little bit of the remote play-by-play -play broadcast of the event with the the, the studio show um so I, I think that helped lead me into that and have really enjoyed uh, doing the and i've done some college uh, and i did a little bit of baseball uh play-by-play -play, but primarily the nfl uh, calling games in, in that area as far as play-by-play. -play. It's what I, I really kind of got wound up into, and it really took me back to my roots of what I loved about, about sports, other than doing interviews. Well, one of the games you and I had a chance to do, and, and you know, I, I mean, everywhere I go, uh, and maybe you're the same, uh, everywhere I go, I get asked about that Fiesta Bowl uh, between Boise State and Oklahoma. Um, you know, the way the game ended, okay, you know, all these crazy plays and Boise State shocks them and, and they win the thing. But then we throw it down to you on the field. And I, I don't even know what to say about it. What is going through your mind when all of a sudden you're in the middle of a, of a marriage proposal? <laughs> yeah, you, by the way, great call at the end of that game, your preparation show, because not only did that game just end and go back and forth, I mean, it was some crazy. The, the yeah. plays were just, I mean, that, and they were well executed too. They were like just a tip ball or something freaky. And it, when you guys were right on top, and it had, I don't care who you were rooting for, but that game also represented, Tom, if you remember, and this was part of what happened afterwards, there wasn't a college football playoff. Uh, the, you know, the, the teams like Boise said they were lucky to get in bowl games, they had to beg, borrow, and steal the, the, the mighty schools with the brand names, Oklahoma, Ohio State. So so there was that that element going on in, you know, in the world. But Boise State was good, and and they earned their way in there, and then, boy, they could, could they show that others belong, too. So uh, just to go back though you call the end of that game which is go back an exciting finish and and you know i usually i ran up interviewed the, the winning quarterback and and then i'm supposed to throw it back and they set up the stage and do the trophy uh, presentation throw it back to you to stretch a little or till they get that stuff ready so our, our producer was mike burks and you'll remember it. he so i, I did the quarterback and I'm, I'm, I'm you know throw it back and you guys are telling us hey chris you know they, they're not ready yet we we need can you get another interview and just you know keep something moving here for a few minutes 
So I see Ian Johnson, the running back, who scored that, you know, the winning points at the end uh, on, on a crazy play. And so I see him over in the corner kind of being talked to a little bit. So I run over and I said, hey, do you have a minute? Excuse me for interrupting here. Uh, you know, we're going to go live on Fox to talk about it. He said, oh, yeah, sure, we're going to be live. And I, I said, yeah, yeah. Uh, on a national, I said, yeah. And he said, well, I, you know, and he said something about, and this is time, you know, rushing around as the guy had the noise. And he said something about, I want to, I want to make a proposal and I, or something about a proposal. And I thought he wanted to propose a playoff system or something like that. Right. That's at least what stuck in my head. So, um, so anyway, we do the interview. I'm, I'm doing the interview and, and our producers, like, he got a few time for a few more. So I'm going to talk about the game and then the, the help, help, you know, great finish. And then I see, I remember he'd been dating or talking about it, the cheerleader. I, I didn't know her name, but when, when to practice you and i were out there at practices uh so he he starts to she comes running over and he looks he's and something and so the producer's rapping me like we got to go we got to go and he doesn't know what i heard of and now the proposal thing is settling into my mind like oh that's the that's the proposal so i didn't have time to say and i kept waiting for him to kind of break out into it and he's not and i've got i gotta be wrapped so i i i i just i had i kind of some people said i jumped and got rooted for it but i was like hey you're gonna do a proposal here or what i forget exactly <laughs> right, how right. i said it but as she came running over he goes oh yeah yeah and he kneels down he goes would you marry me and i put the mic in there it was like tom she said yes and i threw it back up to you because i I was just as <laughs> dumbfounded. Usually I could be cool in, a, in an interview with an athlete, but that was one of those things, especially after that game and that finish that we didn't expect. And uh, yeah, uh, that, that people still come up to me uh, and I, every year when that game comes around. Or, and by the way, Ian Johnson, uh, Chris Peterson, the coach, who's now a broadcaster in the studio, he said, yeah, that was great. We, we waited and it was a and we knew that he wanted to do that. So we didn't really tell anybody, but Ian Johnson thanked me for later because he said, I kind of forgot and I wanted to do it on the big stage. I left the ring back at the hotel room or something, uh, but we didn't know we were gonna have the kind of game we're gonna have. And they're still you know, married with uh, doing well from the That's last great. I heard uh, within the last year. So we, we did some good there. Yeah, absolutely. You did some good there. That that was phenomenal stuff. Hey, but before I let you go, I, I want to ask you a little bit about the 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 NFL. When you and I were growing up, baseball was by far and away the most popular sport. I think you could make an argument that basketball might have been the second most popular sport. Maybe running neck and neck with yep. football there. Now, all of a sudden, Chris, as you and I well know, I mean, it is here, and everybody else is down here. It's not to diminish the other sports in any way, but but the the fanaticism behind the National Football League and the college game for that matter. But the NFL, yeah. uh, you know, why do you think they, they've separated themselves so much from the other sports? Well, I, I don't have all the answers, but having grown up through it, and I was a fanatic NFL fan even before it became so big growing up, uh, number one, it's, uh, it's TV has really helped it, and the right usage of TV, with even going to instant replay, uh, you know, with officials questioning, and everybody's an expert, you can see angles and you have an opinion on it. Uh, I think that's certainly television that, that has put money into it. They've gotten the ratings out of it. It was slowly building, building. I think it's an action, fast-moving sport, Tom. Too that you know, baseball in person, it's a different type of thing. NASCAR, yeah, there's action, but there's a lot of lulls. And football, the it could snap out at any moment. And and I think more and more identity with with cities uh, like we always had and their heroes. And it's become a year-round sport in the sense that the, the, they've categorized, they carefully kind of planned where you do a little draft and you have a free agent period. We have a schedule release and these things have built on so that they keep your attention 
uh, year round. Uh, and, and so those things kind of all add up. And I, I think it's good timing. I think you're right. Uh, things have evolved once it was baseball and, uh, you know, America's pastime, it'll always be labeled as that. And then, you know, the, the NBA and those magic and bird years and what Michael Jordan did. So sometimes it's the stars of the sport as well, but the NFL had that, but now they've gotten to the point where uh, somebody comes along and he's a new star, even if it's just for a year, puts the helmet on and is in prime time and then catches the ball like Odell Beckham and it just reels more fans in. I do think there are more female uh, fans involved and, and, and betting certainly has to have something to do with it. Mm -hmm. It is a fun sport to bet on and now with betting legal in so many ways and easy to do where you can bet at halftime or bet on a, a number of catches or yards. I think all those things kind of kind of add up and, and I just hope that they continue to grow and, and now international is the next step. I know that makes some hometown fans a little bit unhappy, but, but I worry about, you know, the oversaturation sometimes of, of exposure and thinning out the schedule, the ones that you're going to put in, in prime time. Uh, but so far uh, it's a, it's a powerful train running in the right direction. And I, I don't see, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. And it's fun to be a part of, it's fun to be on that ride because I, you know, I just loved football anyway. And, and today's NFL, the past, you know, they've changed the rules for more offense. So the passing is, is making it just as exciting. And um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to keep going. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, uh, continued success, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking the time out to join us here on Dialed In today, man. I hope I get a chance to see you sometime not too far down the road. All right. Glad to talk to you anytime, Tom. You take care. All right, buddy. Chris Myers from Fox Sports, kind enough to join us today here on Dialed In. We thank our friends from United Dairy Farmers and Encore Technologies as they're our sponsors for the big show. And again, we thank Chris. We thank all of you. We thank Casey McAllister. Are you all right over there, by the way? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, since the last time I saw you, I mean, you, you basically have been scout. What do you mean? I mean, you cut off all. You, you, you had a beard. Yeah. You had a mustache. You had long hair. Now you're like high and tight, kept the mustache, no beard. I mean, did, did your bride suggest that maybe you clean your act up or, or what? Yeah, she said that uh, it was tired. The, the hair was, was, was all tired. Uh, the beard not being kept was tired. tired. And so she wanted me to change the look up. So I changed it to this. High tight, looking like a cop. Lindsay, I know that you're a little under the weather today. Do you think he, he it's a better look? I mean, you can be honest now. I think if his wife likes it, that's all that Boy, matters. what a political answer that is. <laughs> Elliot, do you have any thoughts on Casey's new look before we call it a day today? It's a good today? question, Tom. It's a really good question. I came in this morning. I almost jumped out of my chair when I saw it. I couldn't believe it. Oh, so that was today. I, well, it was. It was. I, that's when I noticed it. That's when I noticed it was today, Tom. So I don't know what he's spewing over there. All I know is I looked at that. And I jumped up in my chair. I couldn't believe what I saw. It was like it was one of those Halloween costumes you're getting at the mall. It's on top of your head right now. I did think I was going to uh, bring in some aviators. I think I could pull off the cop look. You could. All right, fellas, ladies, thank you very much. We thank all of you for being with us. We'll come your way back again on Tuesday. Dialed in with Tom Brenneman. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.